2: morning good afternoon good evening and welcome to 7500 to hole in association with acorns children's hospice where we will be joined by chris from the extra inch podcast to offer a view through the opposition's periscope ahead of this weekend's clash in the capital after the highs of houses header in manchester cole is still trying to mend that hole in his shirt meaning luckily for you listeners i'll be on hosting duties this time round. before we get into things I'm not a superstitious person, but if Villa can claim all three points, I might just be forced to make the trip to Canada myself and personally cut holes in all of Colesville Villa merchandise. Anyway, I digress. How are you, Chris?
0: I am. I'm as as I can be as a Spurs fan at the moment. It's a little bit miserable.
2: Yeah, it's funny because you started the season quite well, didn't you? You beat the reigning champions on your own turf 1-0 and then you went on a bit of a run and three games in, you found yourself top of the league and Nuno was being hailed as the next great thing. But since then, you haven't won a game in the league. It's back-to-back 3-0 defeats and a 3-1 defeat to local rivals Arsenal. How does that feel?
0: It doesn't feel good. I mean, losing losing 3-0 to Arsenal is about as bad as it gets um, but you add to that the fact that we lost 3-0 to Chelsea as well, um, which was a collapse, by the way, because we played really well in the first half. Uh, so that sort of felt pretty miserable as well. And it's just the sort of the level of performance so far. So, I mean, you, you, you're right to point out the um, the good start because it was a good start results wise. I think everyone was satisfied with the City game, you know, that there are. There are a few games a year where you you don't mind your team just sitting back and playing on a counter attack, and City is one of them. I'm I'm all for that, and it, it works really really well. Um, so not a problem at all there for me. But then in the the next few games, and I include the um, Europa Conference League in that, we just weren't sort of seeing any progressive football or any signs that we were developing a style or a, a, any patterns of attacking play. It was very much just a rigid 4-3-3 with the, the midfield very narrow um, in the defensive phase and then the front three being left to essentially create for themselves. And I don't know, it, it just doesn't feel, it doesn't feel very progressive. It doesn't feel like there's much going on there. And it, it feels like there's an awful lot of responsibility on the players' shoulders to just pull something out of the bag, essentially. And it didn't really surprise me when the results took a downturn Um the Chelsea get, I mean, Palace was a little bit of an anomaly because we had a sending off that affected it. But even prior to the sending off, we weren't playing very well, if we're completely honest. We created next to nothing. We we were fine, but just stodgy and unexciting. And then, yeah, I mean, the Arsenal game was just an absolute nightmare. We were, I mean, it was game over by sort of 30 minutes in. You we were a third of the match into your local, um, like big North London derby. It's the one that two games a year you just want the team to perform or actually it doesn't matter if you don't perform but you at least want the result you want something you either want a performance or a result and we got neither um and it was the nature of it as well It, it really felt like we just were ill prepared for what is to be honest a poor arsenal team we should be we should be going at them and and you know giving them something to worry about at the back but instead we just let them come at us and it was it was horrific
2: Yeah, you mentioned a lot of responsibility being on the players' shoulders. It seems crazy to say, but from a neutral point of view, you're seeing rumours that Nuno's already lost the dressing room and that he's lost his style of play and that he could be under pressure. How do you see it? Because he came in quite controversially. I think I remember there being a whole almost train of managers set up that (laughs) Levy had prepared. I think Fonseca as one, Gattuso, another name mentioned. And suddenly they just kept rejecting whether how they fell through we don't know but then you finally settled on Nuno and I don't think from a Spurs fans perspective that you guys were too happy with that because it seemed you almost sacked Mourinho who is this defensive minded football manager to go more down the attacking route and get the best out of your attacking outlets like Kane and Son however it seemed almost like a step back then to go to Nuno who almost adopts the same style of play as Mourinho he's just less renowned and he's not a trophy winner. So it's almost from a neutral perspective, it's almost like, well, what direction does Daniel Levy want to take you in? How, how did you see it from your perspective? And do you genuinely think Nuno could be under pressure?
0: I think honestly, he you said he'd nailed it. I mean, exactly that. And the thing is, Levy has, has set his own KPIs here because he, he came out to us in a statement and said, we want to play attacking football we want to appoint a coach to play attacking football so in appointing Nuno uh, the reason many fans didn't take to the appointment is because we know that he doesn't play attacking football it's just not his thing it's never been his thing it probably never will be his thing so already from the start we were like okay nice bloke but he's going to have to change his management philosophy to to try and fit into what Levy set up, which just felt wrong. And you're right. I mean, the summer was an absolute mess, complete and utter mess. So we went at the start of the summer. Most of the fans wanted Nagelsmann. Um, That kind of went out the window pretty quickly. Um, Then Conte was linked, who I think he would have been a a fairly popular appointment, to be honest, you know, high level manager, lots of good ideas. Again, like able to play some attacking football. That was gone fairly quickly um Fonseca we didn't really know a lot about him I personally did loads of research into him and published two massive articles only for the day the next day it to be like essentially over and then Pochettino was linked with a return which uh kind of got my heart pumping a little bit and I think everyone was on board with that particularly after the the sort of terrible run of (laughs) managers rejecting us um, and then, obviously, that didn't, that, didn't come to the, that didn't come to anything in the end. So we ended up settling. And I don't want to sound arrogant, but a club of our stature shouldn't have to settle for a manager. We, we are, you know, if you just look at it crudely in terms of resources, we're probably the fifth or sixth richest club in the Premier League, top 10 in Europe. We, we shouldn't need to settle, but here we are. We've ended up with a manager who doesn't sort of fit the, the culture and the ethos of the club. Um, and it does feel like there's a, a clash of styles there. And although I, I think Nuno had a really tricky summer to deal with, with, you know, what was going on with Kane. And to be fair, he handled that situation really, really well. Likewise with Ndombele, I think he handled that really well as well. And there was kind of a uniting element to, to his appointment. Like He's just a nice guy, someone you can get behind. Um, and, and actually there were some good signs in the summer as well. We were working a lot on um, on fitness and strength and conditioning, things that Mourinho just left to rot, basically. Um, but even that is being questioned now because we're seeing team we're seeing our team just give up goals in the second half of matches, which doesn't kind of imply that we are physically able to 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 play for ninety minutes at the intensity he wants us to. So it's all a bit, I mean, it's just a bit bleak at the moment. And I don't honestly think we'll see a step in the right direction until Nuno goes. But if he goes, who's going to come in? Um, You you don't often get good managerial appointments midway through a season, particularly near the start of the season. So, yeah, you're left thinking, well, I'll be better off just to keep the faith with him for a bit longer. But, I mean, if he loses against Villa, which I fully expect he will, uh, I think there will be some major questions to answer I, th- I think you will be under a lot of pressure and, and rightly so.
2: Yeah you mentioned the name there obviously summers for both of our clubs with Man City looming over our heads were a long long summer it seemed as though every day a new rumour was coming out and in the end Grealish obviously left us whereas Levy stood firm to keep Kane Kane is a weird one because he's yet to score in the league this season and he's come under a bit of criticism because he seems to be dropping deeper to collect the ball, passing it on and then not being able to get into the final third where he's best at creating those chances. I mean, from your perspective, obviously the two clubs, Villa and Tottenham, handled the City bid situations very differently. Levy stood firm, whereas Villa reinvested that money. Was Daniel Levy right to hold Kane? Because I think it's it's clear that he showed he wanted to leave. So how do you feel about having a player at your club that doesn't necessarily want to be there? I mean, obviously he's a vital part and he's your best player and he has been for many, many years. But the two situations when you weigh it up is, do you keep Kane, even though he wants to leave for big money and hope that he can reproduce his goals And then maybe sell him on in a few years or keep him so that he can help you qualify for continental football and help Tottenham progress as a club? Or do you cash in a multi-million pound bid and invest in the right way? Because we saw it when Gareth Bale left for Real Madrid a few years ago. You, You obviously sold him for a lot of money at the time, but you invested quite wrongly, I'd say, I think. The players you got in, the calibre of players and the style of players didn't fit your system at the time. And it almost seemed to put you a step in the wrong direction. Whereas from a Villa perspective this season, it seems like we've invested that money quite well. You know, you've got Danny Ings, who's a potent goal scorer at this level. Leon Bailey, who, when he's fit, can be one of the most exciting wingers in the league. So it all depends on how you invest that. How do you stand and how did you feel about it over the course of the summer?
0: I think the reality is that had City offered what we thought Kane was worth, we would have sold him. But ultimately, they didn't do that. Um, And I I think Levy probably wanted 150 million, and I don't think that's unreasonable, to be honest. If Grealish goes for 100, then Kane, who has a, a a proven goal scoring record over and above Grealish's over a number of years, and is England captain, and that comes with you know a lot of extra. Uh, credibility i suppose as well I, I mean i think that's a reasonable fee to ask and and so city um just they they, they did the dirty on themselves really by just going all out for cane and then not paying the, the asking price um and i guess it's a tricky one then because it's like yeah we can we can sell cane for 100 million but that's under market value and i don't think the fans are going to be thrilled if we're selling our best player under market value, significantly under as well, I think. Um, so I completely get Levy's stance. And to be honest, I agree with it. I think he did the right thing in in not buckling to their demands. And it was really frustrating to hear the media all summer say, why is Daniel Levy standing in Harry Kane's way? He deserves to move to a bigger club. And it's like, hang on, hang on a minute. The only, the only party here standing in Harry Kane's way is Man City. They're not paying the asking price. Um, so that, that was a, a bone of contention amongst most of us Spurs fans. I mean, I completely see the um, justification for selling Kane and reinvesting the funds. And I, I think part of me would have been happy with that in some ways if we'd got a fair price. Um, but equally, I, I do feel like if we just appointed the right manager and kept Kane... And maybe bought a backup striker, Danny Ings, for example. I, th- I think would have been such a strong position. And so you, you, we've ended up in this awkward middle ground where we're we've got Kane, who's unhappy, as you say, wanted his move, didn't get it. We've got a manager who's not playing football that gets the best out of Kane. Uh, it's it's not very rosy at the moment. Let's put it that way.
2: Yeah, I completely understand, and I mean. Villa fans had to go through the same thing of the media hyping up this player and Palace fans have gone through it with Zaha for the last few years it seems that there's a new player every window that the media almost cast their eye on and beg for that move away I never thought I'd be asking you this but (laughs) you beat Man City without Kane and I think you won your second game of the season without Kane as well now Kane don't get me wrong has got a Tremendous goal-scoring record against Villa. He's played nine, he scored in seven, and he's won seven that he's played against Villa. Do you even consider dropping him? I mean, if he's not playing to Nuno's strengths and you're not getting the best out of him, would it be out of this world to sit him on the bench to almost make him realise, look, you've got to start finding your form. No one's above the club. I mean I don't I don't know how you get it from your perspective but is there any possibility that he sits this one out or sits any game out if he's not performing?
0: No, pretty much no. Um and I think that's right. I mean I, I just think Spurs without Kane are even worse than we are at the moment and that's pretty bad. Um uh so the thing is so Kane is an absolutely elite finisher. He outperforms his expected goals every single year by a significant margin. He's one of the best finishers in Europe. He's also a brilliant creator, as we saw last year under Mourinho. Um, so the talk of him to drop, dropping too deep constantly is, I don't think it's fair because he did that last year and he was magnificent at doing it. The problem is that we're not getting him enough touches and shots. We need to get him more touches in and around the box. We need to get him more shots inside the box. And to do that, we have to change the way we're playing at the moment. Um, And that would go for any striker. I mean, any striker playing in the team that we've got at the moment is going to struggle. Kane can make runs in behind. It's not his strength, but he can do it. And he did it against uh, Wolves and ended up getting on the end of a deli pass and and scoring a really good goal against Wolves. So I don't think that's necessarily a concern either. It's just that we need to be – our attacking football needs to be 10, 15 yards higher – we need to have possession structures that allow us to keep the ball in the opposition third rather than just sort of play this reckless. I mean, the idea is we're playing really um, aggressively direct football and, um, you know, win the ball and just attack as soon as you get it. But at the moment, it's just coming straight back at us. There's, there's nothing. The, the quality of the pass forward is is just not good enough. Um, and I think we just need to completely change this. that, that Attempted style um, and try and play a style that suits Kane better because, like you say, he's our best player. Um, Tongi and Domblay, Son Min. There are probably other two best players. They're not getting the best. We're not getting the best out of them from this style either. We need to have more of the ball. We need to aim to keep the ball better, and we need to make sure that we're getting Kane touches and some touches and and Dombele touches. That's that's the way forward as I see it.
2: Yeah, 100%. You touched on it a while ago about what you would have preferred in the summer transfer window. But how did you rate your window as a whole with your incomings? Because off the top of my head, I remember Emerson Royale coming in in a bizarre circumstance of he signed for Barca in, I think it was the month before August. And then a month later, he sold from Barca for a profit to you guys. How's he been so far? And there's obviously Brian Hill as well, who I personally haven't seen much of. How would you rate your transfer window as a whole this summer?
0: Um, generally, I was really happy with the window, to be honest. Um, like oh, There's always going to be a, um, a gap. There's always going to be something that you don't like. You kind of think, oh, why didn't we just sign that player? And it, it's the striker. We, like we sold, um, we let Vinicius' loan um, expire and we didn't renew that. And we didn't sign a striker, so that's like an obvious, an obvious gap where it would have been nice to have had a striker. And i am definitely as mentioned, I would definitely have taken Ings. Um, Odson Eduard, who's gone to Palace, was a player I've liked for many years as well. I would have loved him at Spurs. Um, so yeah, striker was the the one area where I was a bit like, yeah, okay, frustrating we didn't get one in the bag. But generally, we did a really good job, and we've got this new managing director of football, Fabio Paratici, who's um who's a bit of a a of a wheeler-dealer, and we were happy with the business he did. So he brought in Romero, who's a quality centre-back. I've been very impressed with him so far. We urgently needed an upgrade at centre-back, so that was that was good news. Again, would have quite liked another centre-back, but having said that, Eric Dyer's um, started the season really strongly, so that's good. Um, Emerson Royale, as you said, he's come in, had a really tough first couple of games against Zaha and then against Chelsea, obviously. Uh, but, you know, he he coped fairly well, considering he was brand new. And then he's looked OK since. I, I quite like him. He's clearly a, an upgrade um, on what we had before in, in Aurier. And this and miles better than Matt Doherty. And Tanganga is, is primarily a centre-back. So I, I don't think um, long-term Tanganga is a right-back. So quite happy with Royale. Uh, Brian Hill is really exciting. Really, really, really promising He's looked, he's looked quality. To be honest, he he was one of the redeeming features of that Arsenal game. Um, really nice, close control, dribbling ability, got an eye for a progressive pass, and I think he's going to be a massive fan favourite over the next few years. I'm pretty excited about him. So yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty it was pretty fine. Um, I would say the big thing that we had to do this summer was the clear out, and we achieved that quite well. We didn't get the prices necessarily that we wanted for some of our players Sissoko being an obvious one those negotiations seemed to start at 10 million ended up about three but at that point you're like okay fine just you know get the weight off the books they he needs a new start somewhere else we need we need to get rid of him Aurier went on a free transfer again fine no problem get the weight off the books the age profile and the squad is a lot lower than what it was at the start of the window and that was really important because by the end of Mourinho's tenure suddenly our age profile was trending in the wrong direction and uh, that was becoming an issue. So I think we've saved a lot of money in terms of wages. I think we've added some, some young talent, a Gallini, the goalkeeper. We needed a backup goalkeeper. I don't think he's the best in the world, but it's a, it's a fairly low risk deal. It's a two year loan. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm fairly happy with the transfer window and the state of the squad to be honest. It's just, I just don't think the manager's using it in the best possible way.
2: Bringing up Galini just reminds me of when we had him in the championship and we were 1-0 up to Huddersfield in the 90th minute and he boots it off the Huddersfield strikers back and into the back of the net. Bad memories, let's not go there. Anyway, touching on the two teams as a whole this season, we've got Villa, obviously, who's in eighth at the moment and Tottenham, who have fallen down to 11th. There's only a point separating us, but I think the big difference is the fact that Spurs have scored four, whereas Villa have scored nine. Villa have obviously adopted now this four at the back um, since we conceded quite a few in the opening games of the season. But still, Spurs have conceded nine, whereas Villa have conceded seven. With Villa's five at the back and Tottenham's not great scoring records this season, do you think it would be it would be difficult to break us down? Because I'm looking back at past records and Spurs have got a great... Um, history against Villa. I think, obviously, other than our last meeting at the back end of last season, I think it was where Spurs had their 10K fans back in in the trial. Um, Villa came out 2-1 winners with that incredible own goal from Spurs, um, the comical (laughs) own goal. Um, But since then... Spurs were unbeaten against Villa since dating back to 2015. So you've got a good record against us. But obviously, this season, we've now gone to five at the back and we've almost seemed to shut out the goals, especially against Man United. And with Spurs not free scoring at the moment, how do you see this one playing out?
0: Yeah, um, I think we're going to struggle to score, to be honest. We've struggled to score all season. Um, I just can't see how that will change. I think he's going to have to try something more progressive because it's a home match and our fans just... I mean, they'll get booed off. If they play anything like the way they played against Arsenal, it will just be... It will be toxic, to be honest, in the stadium if, if, if that approach is attempted. So he has to play a more progressive style. He probably has to play the Celso and Ndombele, which I'm you know, very much in favour of. I think they're both two of our better players. Um but I do think we'll struggle to break Villa down. Um, you're just so much further along in terms of your um, development under under Smith and your understanding of his tactical game plan. Um, even with new signings and a new system, I, I think you just look a much more well-oiled machine, whereas we're still struggling to find our identity and work out what, what the actual intention is of Nuno's um, plan. So I fear the worst, I feel like we could, Honestly, we could lose 3-0 again. It wouldn't surprise me at all if we conceded another three. I'm that sort of down in the dumps about things at the moment. Um, the, the hope is that he'll play all the good players <laughs> and, and they'll they'll gel well. You know, Romero, Royale, the um, Celso and Dombele. I'm hoping that they'll all be on the pitch at the same time and we'll see a better performance. But my brain says that we're going to lose heavily. And yeah probably Ings and Watkins will enjoy playing against us.
2: If I had to ask you for a score prediction before I let you go, what, what would you give me?
0: It hurts. To, it, it really hurts to predict a 3-0 defeat. But, so I'll go 2-1. 2-1 Villa.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. I think it will be a good game either way. I think it could be a, a game of the defences, Obviously, Nuno is a very defensive minded coach, and when Villa can defend, we seem to be able to hold out quite well. So it'll be a fascinating affair. Anyway, thank you for joining me on, and we'll look forward to the game.
0: Nice one. Yeah, I hope you enjoy. It. I hope at least one of us gets to enjoy the game and um, <laughs> all the best for the rest of the season. I bet you're loving things right now.
2: Well, a massive thank you to Chris for providing a brief insight into what to expect from this weekend's clash. As always, make sure to subscribe to the Extra Inches Patreon if you enjoyed, whilst making sure you're following our sponsors of the podcast, Acorns Hospice at Acorns Hospice on Twitter. I'm sure you are already, but if not, follow us on Twitter at 7500 to hope and keep an eye on our page as to ways to give back to a charity who provides so much for our community, as well as also Talking Everything Villa. If you enjoyed, make sure to rate us on iTunes and tag us with your thoughts down on Twitter, Do you think House's match winner will keep Transabi out of the team for a second week running? Could Buendia make a return? And give us your score predictions. we love to hear your thoughts. Just make sure to tag us in them as well. Thank you for listening. I've been Sebastian Bacon, and let's hope the next time I'm talking to you, it's about another three points away at Tottenham this time. Thanks for listening. Up the Villa.